Fabio Nosinski's Inner Circle, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is James Dickerson, creator of the mix approval software HitSend. First of all, this is a big deal. Songwriters are going to get a raise. It's been reported that record labels and publishers have finally reached an agreement over the mechanical royalty rate that's paid to songwriters and publishers. Since 2006, this rate has been 9.1 cents for each song, if it's on a physical product like a CD or vinyl, or is a download. Now that's being raised 32% to 12 cents. This still has to be approved by the Copyright Royalty Board, but it seems like a no-brainer that that's going to happen. Now think about this for a second. If you have a song that's on a CD or vinyl, you're getting paid 9.1 cent every time this product is sold. If you have 10 songs, you're getting paid 91 cents. That's pretty good, and this is the way songwriters used to get rich. So if you think about it, way back when, when vinyl and CDs ruled, if you had a song on a million-selling album, for instance, that would mean that you would make $90,000. And if you had 10 songs, that means you'd make $900,000. So when you hear veteran songwriters complain about the way the music business has changed, that's what's really changed for them. Because once upon a time, you can make a ton of money from sales. Now, of course, we know that sales aren't what they used to be. So that's why everything has changed. And in streaming times, those songwriters aren't necessarily getting the amount of streams that new songwriters are. And there's the gap that we have between them. Anyway, this goes a step deeper because the record labels actually collect this money and then they pay it out to the songwriters and the publishers. So they're reluctant to pay that royalty and they're reluctant to actually agree to this increase in royalty rate. But they have, and that's a good thing. Now the conundrum here is that the three largest publishers are also owned by the three largest record labels. So in fact, they're paying that increase, or at least part of that increase, back to themselves. Remember that this is only on vinyl, CDs, and downloads. And downloads actually aren't doing that hot these days. They're dropping like a rock. But vinyl is doing well, and even CDs are coming back. Now, just to make songwriters feel better, the royalty rate on streaming is also scheduled to rise soon. So, songwriters don't get paid a lot on a stream right now. And in general, they're not getting paid what they used to, but that might change at least a little bit in the future. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineers Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted rate at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now here's something that might turn into be a really big deal. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me on numerous occasions talk about the fact that I don't believe immersive audio is really going to take off in a big way until we get new transducer technology. And this technology would basically mean that the walls, 
everything that we have, all sorts of items will become transducers in one way or another that will truly put us in an automatic immersive environment. Problem is that right now, speaker transducers have not changed all that much in more than 100 years. However, MIT researchers have developed a paper-thin loudspeaker that can turn any surface into an active audio source, and that means walls and surfaces can now be speakers. The researchers pioneered a really simple fabrication technique, which requires only three basic steps, and then it can be scaled up to produce these ultra-thin loudspeakers that can be made large enough to cover like the inside of a car or even wallpaper on a room. Very exciting. One of the cool things is this technology requires very little power, which means that we can have them in smart devices that use batteries and also can do some very cool things like noise cancellation or detecting people in a room via ultrasound or even a novel way of stirring liquids if they're immersed. So this could be a big breakthrough. It could be the one that we've been waiting for. Now, what makes this different from other technologies that have tried something sort of like this is the fact that there's actually these different size, tiny domes that resonate at different frequencies. So instead of the vibrations coming from the full surface, it's just these small domes. That's what vibrates rather than the entire film surface. It's definitely exciting. It definitely could be the breakthrough for the future of audio technology, but it's very, very early in its infancy, so don't expect to see this anytime soon. However, it gives us hope for the future. It could really change the way we listen to audio. My guest this week is James Dickerson, who started his career as an engineer, but soon discovered that he had problems getting mix approvals or even worse, getting paid. That led him to create a new service called HitSend. HitSend allows you to share a project with the client, receive time-coded feedback so you know exactly where to make changes, receive final approval, and even get paid before the files are released to clients. HitSend works with files of any audio resolution and with multiple payment vendors like Stripe, PayPal, Venmo, and Apple Pay, as well as a number of bookkeeping and invoicing solutions like FreshBooks, QuickBooks, and Wave. It even works internationally, allowing you to create invoices with 97 different currencies and accept payment from over 135 countries around the world. During the interview, we talked about the difficulty about asking to get paid, the importance of integrating different payment solutions, making revision notes easier, and much more. I spoke with James via Zoom from his office in Salt Lake City. I'm really pleased that we can talk about what you're doing because it's pretty cool. But before we get into it, tell me about your background. Yeah, so I started out, um, like a lot of people do, I started playing in a band in high school and just really fell in love with music. And from there, you know, we got some money, went into the studio. Um, and that's when, you know, the gear bug kind of really hit. Um, and I started just uh, spending every moment I could, you know, playing with uh, my own recordings um, and then ended up going into an internship at a studio. Um, and from there, you know, was able to just keep building on that until um, eventually I started, you know, working with my own clients 
Um, but I was doing this from Lincoln, Nebraska, which isn't exactly the hotbed for, you know, music. So that meant that a lot of uh, things I had to do was remote, which is what, you know, eventually led me into doing, you know, what I'm doing now and everything. So uh, it was really just, uh, you know, kind of by accident started with music and <laughs> years later, here we are. So you worked as an engineer for a while and you understood the pitfalls of delivering to clients. So as a intern, you know, at the studio, basically what, what I did most days was I would come in uh, after school because I did this all through high school and college. Um, and the studio owner would say, okay, here are what I recorded today or here's what needs to be bounced. So it was my job, you know, of course, to go through edit everything up, you know, get revisions out the door for people and keep track of, you know, all those sorts of things, because most people, that's not the part of, you know, music that they enjoy. They like creating, you know, and they don't want to have to deal with, you know, invoices and email chains, and, you know, all these other things that can really bog down that creative process. Um, but that's actually what I found that I was pretty good at was, you know, creating systems for this and, even just a lot of the grunt editing work, you know, I would be sitting in class in college uh, editing drums all the time. So uh, hopefully none of my teachers listen to this, but, you know, I just have my in-ears in and just be editing away. Yeah, that's the cool thing. You can do that now. <laughs> you can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just have low profile ears, so it, it works. Okay, let's talk about hits in. So... That came about because you saw there was a need. You must have experienced it yourself, right? Yeah. So um, as I started doing a lot of remote work, um, that meant that I never really saw people face to face, which you know can be nice because you can work with anyone. But also, uh, one of the big issues was payments, right? And it came to the point to where I once waited six months for someone to pay an invoice, and I was following up with them every week. You know, and of course the response was, all right, I'll get that done this week. And, and whether it was out of spite or frustration, I finally was like, all right, I, I got to find a better way to do this. And so that's when I started looking around for a solution, um, you know, specifically for the audio industry. And I really couldn't find anything that would bring revisions, file delivery, and payments into one platform. And so that's when, you know, kind of the idea for HitSend started but you know after that i had to ask a question well is this you know really something that the industry needs or is this just a me problem and so i spent over a year actually uh just trying to interview message connect however i could just ask other audio engineers are these problems that you're facing today in your workflow um and what would a solution look like so i ended up conducting over 200 interviews actually with people just, you know, asking about their workflow um, all the way from pre-production to mastering and post. Um, and so compile all of that into, you know, a solution that could be as workflow agnostic as possible while still meeting the needs. Um, and so that finished product now here over three years later is uh, what we have just released in HitSend. Actually, the timing is really good because still, if you're doing work for a major label, it might be six months or even longer until you get paid. But the timing is such that 
so much work comes from independence. So much work now comes from management. Even the biggest engineers and mixers, half of their work is coming from independence, where that wasn't the case a few years ago before COVID. So timing is right. Yeah, it's been a huge shift in that industry where before, you know, labels were pouring all this money into production. Uh, and now labels roles have really shifted to be more of a promoter where quite often it's a, you go make the songs and we'll make sure that it gets on radio or, you know, Spotify playlists and that sort of a thing. And that's more so the role of labels, which leaves the burden now on artists in order to create a lot more. But as you were saying, the door to creation has opened so much with this digital age that so many more people now are creating music, which has opened the opportunity to have more, you know, mixing, more mastering, you know, writing production, all those uh, different roles now are receiving, you know, more work from indie artists, which is good because with the record labels not investing in that production uh, in order for, you know, these people to still make a living, they need to be able to fill that now with these indie artists. One of the things I really liked about it was it took the burden off the engineer for asking for money. And it's one of the things that everybody, well, unless that's what you do in life, everybody's kind of hesitant about doing it. But and it was pretty transparent. The end user, it's like, okay, if you want this, you have to pay. And that's without any pressure from, from the engineer, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, it can really, that can be a really awkward conversation. Um, I don't think it's a conversation that really anyone, you know, likes is like, all right, now pay me. And part of that is music can be so subjective at times that it's hard to put a price tag on it. And sometimes people don't feel like what they're asking can equate to the work that they've done. And that's, that can be seen in many fields, but uh, this really helps take that away to where it's the system basically can be the bad guy, right? And instead of, you know, having to say, pay me now, it's a, all right, you've listened to your files. Um, now, if you want them, all you have to do is just pay and then they'll be available for you right away. Speaking of which, so is there a limitation on the type of files and the resolution? Yes. So we actually support multiple playbacks, but we can't support every codec out there. There are just too many, but... Um, what we've actually done with our player is we allow people to stream full wave and AIFF quality. Uh, and that doesn't restrict any bit depth or anything. So whatever you upload, um, that full quality can be heard directly through a browser on any device. Um, we offer the option for people to step that down because we know that those files can be pretty big. And so if someone does have a poor internet connection or they are limited on, you know, their bandwidth for a mobile device, you know, they can have the option to step it down to, you know, lossless FLAC um, or even all the way down to AAC quality. But even within that, you know, we still support, you know, the majority of common file formats such as Wave, FLAC, AIFF, uh, MP3, AAC, M4A. So if... I sent a uh, 9624 file. It could handle that, right? Yep. We don't touch, again, we don't touch that file. It goes up there. What we actually do is we generate a copy 
with those different file types uh, for if anyone wanted to step it down. But whatever you put up there, uh, it's it's there to stay and clients can go on and, and listen to it and hear exactly what you hear. Now, of course, you want to make sure that they're in a good listening environment in order to fully hear all of that. But yeah, it's there. When did HitSend launch? So we just launched, uh, let's see, it would have been a couple weeks ago as we're talking now, it would have been April, I want to say eight. Uh, yeah, very recently here that we launched the public version. Now we've been testing um, and working with some great people for over two years now of a platform, you know, making sure that things are stable and that it, you know, can handle heavy workloads. But yeah, it's just been very recently that we've released this public version. Are you in Nebraska now? Uh, so I currently actually am in Salt Lake City now, um, but was previously in Nebraska up to fairly recently. So still, you know, kind of in the Midwest, you could say, uh, but not by any means in any one of the big, you know, LA, New York, Nashville. Not that it matters as much anymore. No. And that's, again, the beauty of having distributive workflow tools like this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So this is quite an undertaking and, you know, just the programming part of it. Did you do this? Did you have help? How did it work? I had a lot of help. (laughs) Uh, So I have learned some programming, uh, mainly on front end. So what you see visually, but I actually have uh, probably about the the best coder you can ask for. And uh, actually my number one employee, my dad, (laughs) (laughs) he's been coding longer than I've been alive and things just happened to work right. As when I was starting to look at how to build a, an alpha version, a first version of this, he happened to be transitioning away from actually teaching um, advanced computer science. And it started with him saying, you know, he'll help me for about two or three months while he kind of looks around for other things. And and now it's been three years and (laughs) still working on it. It's good to keep it in the family. That's for sure. (laughs) It can go one of two ways. You know, it can go really well or it can go really bad. And thankfully, we've had a great outcome with that. You set it up so you can accept payments. Are you taking a percentage of the payment? Uh, We as a company are not. Now you're going to have processor feeds that like PayPal and Stripe charge. And there's no way to get around that at that point. Um, Other than, you know, maybe sending a check in the mail, you're going to have processing fees if you do anything digitally. Right. Uh, But us as a company, no, we do not take any percentage of that. We don't limit how much you can process in any given time period. Um, So, you know, we know that um, all these people are working very hard for their money and our goal is not to, to touch any of that. We want to make sure that people are getting paid. And so in order to do that, we want to make sure that we can pass through as much as possible. You're strictly a uh, subscription service then. And that's how much? So right now we're offering a monthly and a yearly subscription. So for monthly, it's at $39.99. And then if you go to yearly, it's about 35 or build at $400 a year. And subscription really is the only model that fits what we're doing uh, because with us having, you know, storage online and server costs and bandwidth, you know, every month we get a bill for anything that happens on the platform. And so we have to make sure that we can continue to pay that. Um, but 
one thing that a lot of people might look at is, you know, Dropbox and compare it to this. Um, and, you know, those are two different price points, but we're not all trying to be Dropbox. You know, we're trying to be a specific industry solution um, that has so much more, you know, because with Dropbox, they will downgrade audio um, to save on bandwidth costs. And they'll do, you know, all these things to try to maximize profit. Whereas we say, okay, there's no limitation on the amount of bandwidth you can use or, you know, your audio files, you know, stream as much as you want. Um, at however high quality in order to really facilitate that process of going through a mix or a master at high quality. Because on the flip side, you've got streaming services now led by Tidal, but also Amazon Music, you know, Spotify, even Apple Music that are starting to now put out these high-res masters. And so we want to make sure that when people are creating music for that, they can properly, you know, hear what it's going to sound like. And so in order to, to facilitate that, we need to make sure that, you know, they can hear those higher quality formats. Is there a use case that surprised you? So in other words, is somebody using it in a way that you didn't expect? Well, there's all, always minute things. That's one thing, you know, talking to so many people that you, I've always found is that everyone has their own little way of doing certain things. And so um, there, there's always going to be things that I never expected, you know, someone to, to try to do, which is part of the fun, but the headache of it at the same time, because, you know, if someone comes up with a, a new use case for it um, that we don't quite support, then we have to figure out, well, how can, you know, we make that happen? So there, I, I can't say that there's been one big major shock um, but there's definitely been a lot of little ones along the way. Now, I don't mean to the extent where you have to change your programming or anything. It's just like somebody figures out a way to, to use it and you go, oh, yeah, I never expected that. Nothing comes to mind, to be honest. Spent the last four years of my life basically every day working on this. So thought a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. Are there improvements that you think you're going to make or additions that you, you find, I know it's early in the process, but is there something that, that you're saying, I think we have to add this or I'd like to add this or something like that? I have a list right now, about 52 items I think that I have on it, things I want to add, which is one of the great things about building your own platform is that, you know, you can continue to add and continue to iterate. And um, that's one thing that's very different from, you know, say a, uh, you know, a song is you don't want to have that continual iteration, right? Because otherwise you'll never get a song out the door. But um, with this, it's great that we can continue to build on top of it and continue to provide new things. So um, as a specific example, we're looking to add on more payment platforms, uh, specifically bank solutions so that people can use ACH transfers for even lower costs on, you know, those fees. Uh, as well as uh, in the UK, when you've got all those different countries that are close, um, exchange rates are a big way that people lose money. And so if we're able to support bank transfers, you know, in Europe, that will drastically reduce how much people get charged um, just accepting payments from clients in other countries. You know, it's funny because there's some vendors that I have that recently suggested that I pay them via Zelle. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, except for the fact that I have a small community bank that I use that 
isn't on their list and there's no way they could put it on. So in, in other words, it would have to go through the credit card, but the credit card won't allow it to do it, and the debit card. And it was just a big pain. It was like, oh, I think we're going to have to do this the old fashioned way. <laughs> you know, meaning that PayPal or something like that and take it like that or else it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's a big issue, especially when trying to integrate with these different solutions. Because um, one of the big ones right now is Wise, I think, formerly TransferWise. Um, and they've got a great service of, you know, transferring funds um, from all over the globe. But like their API doesn't support um, having a third party uh, in the mix, they only do from point A to point B. And so like for us right now, we can't integrate directly with you know, their platform. And so there's always those challenges of, there are so many different ways to get paid, you know, like you're saying Zelle or, you know, with PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, like so many different ones, but they have to support, you know, our use case in order for us to even incorporate it in the platform. And so that's been another thing that we've had to, you know, research and figure out okay, how can we accept these different types of payments on the platform, make it seamless for the users, um, but still make sure that we aren't allowing access to files um, if something hasn't actually been paid for yet. It seems to me that people are moving away from PayPal, where a few years ago that was kind of like what everybody wanted to use, and now that's not the preference from what I could tell. Yeah, PayPal definitely, I would say it still is the most dominant one out there, but people are moving away more and more. One of the biggest reasons for that is uh, PayPal will suspend transactions quite often over what they consider to be suspicious activity. But in most cases, it's just their algorithm flags something and now people won't be able to access their money for two weeks. And so different things like that have really caused people to go looking for other solutions. And so I know that Stripe uh, right now is a big one that's coming up, but also, you know, you are seeing people go to even newer ones such as Zelle or, you know, going to invoicing solutions like QuickBooks or Wave um, in order to, to facilitate those transactions. I just had a thing happen in PayPal where someone was going to pay me a five-figure invoice and PayPal would not allow it. Yep, exactly. And it's reasons like that that people are transitioning away yeah and you're caught in the middle exactly because there's nothing that we can do about it you know because if paypal doesn't allow it they're not going to listen to us we hold zero weight in their eyes but of course you know people who are trying to you know use our platform you know they still need a way to get paid and so trying to mitigate that as much as possible or provide as many solutions as possible for people using our platform is, is really our, our goal there so that they have options to choose which platform they're going to use to accept payments. Who is your customer? Is it mostly mixers? Mixing and mastering engineers uh, are definitely the, you know, the target audience right now with this. Not to say that other people like producers or musicians can't use it, but it, it really is for people who are, working on audio and making a living off of it. That's the, the primary use. And one thing uh, we haven't mentioned yet to this point, but we actually support a fully gapless player where you can also view metadata for each track for record approvals. So 
And when I say fully gapless, what I mean is we actually take all the files, stitch them into one, and then put that into the browser so that there are actually zero gaps or zero buffer time between each track. Yeah, that's cool. That's for a mastering engineer with an album. That's perfect. Yep. So you can hear exactly what someone would hear, you know, on a CD or in a DDP player, um, as well as viewing metadata. And so, again, one of the things that we're also looking at adding is support for being able to edit and actually write metadata to files directly in the platform too, so that, you know, clients come on and make changes or engineers, vice versa, could also make changes. And then you'd be able to, you know, export that metadata to take right to distribution services. That is something that's very cool and very needed because it's one of the big problems. Writing metadata, first of all, is difficult sometimes. Most labels do it when they upload to a service and they put it in. And the problem there is many times the person that's doing it is like the last person hired the lowest on the totem pole and they make mistakes. So mistakes in metadata mean you don't get paid. Yeah, I I know in some cases it's uh, it's cost people tens of thousands of dollars just because their name was left off of a credit. Yeah. And it's really interesting to, you know, kind of see some of the things where there's basically a pile of cash that is sitting out there that is not being distributed to people. Um, I haven't looked at what the figure is now, but I think it was approaching uh, the billions, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. Black box revenue. And yeah, it's just sitting there because it, it hasn't been assigned to you know the proper people. One of the, the other cool things I liked is the fact that you can go in and when you make comments, it's attached to the timeline. So it, you know someone could actually see what the comment is at the perfect spot. I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we've all gotten that revision note that says, hey, can you turn the guitars up here? And you're like, well, where is here? And, you know, what, <laughs> which song are you referring to? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, then it takes you three more emails just to figure out what they were trying to originally say. Whereas, you know, here that comment is tied to a specific version of a track because you can stack multiple versions even within a track. So it's tied to a specific version at a specific place or range. Um, and then you can actually export those comments as mini markers and import them directly into um, you know, a session in Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase, or Studio One. And so that way you can bring those directly in. And when you go to make revisions, um, they're, they can actually appear right on your timeline. So not only do you know where it is on the track, you can see where it is in your session. That's awesome. That is cool. One of the things I like too, just talking about somebody that might be looking at um, approval, and that's the fact that you can loop a certain section. Again, it's the same thing. It's like there's always some place where you go, did I just hear that? You know, and and you might want to loop it and you make it easy. Yep. You can draw right on the waveform, you know, the section that you want to loop or even, you know, the whole track. Um, If you really like a song, you can just play it over and over again. Um, and one of the great things too is uh, for mobile devices, we fully support those. So you can, um, you know, lock your phone and audio will keep playing. You can pause, you know, and start it uh, directly from your lock screen as well, because, you know, that's something that's, I really don't like about if you say text, you know, a song to someone um, and your phone, you know, locks and then music stops and you have to unlock your phone. And especially if you're like driving or something, um, you don't want to 
could be trying to, to work with your phone. Whereas with this, you can um, just set the audio, audio to play and it'll just continue to play all the way through the playlist. Or if you do have a section loop, it'll just loop that um, however you have it set up to go. Is there something that we didn't talk about that you feel needs to be mentioned? Security. That's definitely um, a part of it. We've uh, tried to make this as secure as possible. Um, so any external link you can, you know, deactivate or basically eliminate so that if anything did happen to get leaked, um, you can make sure that that link is shut off. Uh, we, you know, have two-factor authentication for logins because um, that's actually the most common way that uh, account, accounts get broken into is people just get the username and password. Providing that two-factor authentication makes it much more difficult for people to hack or, you know, find leaks. As well, of course, as just, you know, we've done everything to encrypt our databases, 256-bit encryption, you know, on all kind of audio transfers. And just even within the audio files, we, you know, bring them in, in as blobs technically so that they're not the, the raw audio there. Um, mm, so yeah. we've done everything to, to try to make sure that not only are you protected as an audio engineer, but your clients are also protected and their, you know, their work is protected. Another thing that we've built into the platform is uh, custom branding. So audio engineers will be able to have their own color scheme for emails, invoices, um, splash screens, their own logo, uh, so that they can really make it feel like their own brand um, and just create that you know memorable experience for their clients so that they can have a very professional look throughout. Last question, James. What is the best piece of advice that maybe you learned along the way here or someone gave to you? Everything takes twice as long as you think it will. <laughs> you can find out more about James and Hitsend at hitsend.io. That's hitsend, H-I-T-S-E-N-D dot I-O, hitsend dot I-O. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 